Mr. Pop. Hi, this is Taylor Swift, and here's Kevin Hillier, Mark Fine, and the one I'd like to root, Brian Mannix. You're listening to Rock and Roll. Steve, get a microphone. I think I'm going to do a big fart. Oh, here it comes. This is Rock and Roll, your weekly shot of sport and music with Kevin Hillier, Brian Mannix, and Mark Fine. What a what a very tasteful beginning to yet another week of rock and roll, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Um, I'm Kevin Hillier. Uh, this man's Mark Fine. Hello, Finey. Hello, Kev. How are you, mate? Good to be on the program. Good to have Taylor introduce us. Lovely to have I you mean, back, Finey. And here's the one that we all want to root, Brian Mannix. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, good evening, fellas, and uh, great to be back on another Wonderful episode of Rock and Roll. Uh, Taylor, while you're there, any nothing else to add to the conversation, Taylor, or is that as, as – uh, No, 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 no. Okay, Taylor, I've been – Well, while been we, doing you know, it. everyone's talking about it. Well, we've got it. We might as well, if we have the opportunity, just to, you know, any other pearls of wisdom well, that Taylor okay. might have to offer us, Brian. I just thought seeing well, you've, you've got the connection just, there, you know. None of us I'm went to just, the concert, but clearly – Dialing it up. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, Taylor on the line there. and Here's Taylor. She's mm-hmm. um, reporting about her first day in Australia. Oh, right, okay. I am. I've only... Yes, it's true. I feel so bad. I've only been in Australia for a day, and it's not going well. We went to the zoo and somehow I managed to kill 14 koala bears, three kangaroos and a wombat. On the way home, we ran over an old woman and I had an explosive shit in my glittery knickerbockers. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Manic, stop it before we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. Um, uh, Now, it it is Taylor Taylor Swift mania everywhere in the the universe. I I checked with Finey before... Um, we started whether he'd been to the concert because I thought maybe one of his daughters might have dragged him along, but or one of his sons. Um, but that didn't happen, Finey. I thought you were pranking me. <laughs> I'm being 100% honest here. I don't know any Taylor Swift songs and I really don't particularly know what she looks like. I mean, I guess it's an illusion that – I'll say this. She's obviously enormous worldwide <laughs> – uh, a megastar, but I don't know whether she's good. I don't know whether she's not good. She's obviously talented, but it's a sign of the times that Melbourne has gone into meltdown over the arrival of Taylor Swift. And when I say sign of the times, what I mean is back in the day, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even, there were superstar acts coming all the time. And I'm not saying you became blasé, but if you loved the act, if you loved whoever was touring, you'd go and see them, but the world wouldn't end for them. But there's so few headline acts in the world of music nowadays that are current that young people go out of their way to see that when Taylor Swift comes, you think it's the coming of the second Christ, but what can I say? Yeah. I, it's just not, there's just not enough talent around to make it anything but abnormal. I, uh, I, I've uh, spoken to a few people, uh, read a lot of uh, social media, and uh, a couple of serious friends rang, and they, and they just they absolutely adored the concert. I don't have a problem in the world with you. Went along and you had – had a fabulous time, and even even some of the cynical people I know in the world uh, went to the show and went, you know what? It's actually pretty good, and she's actually pretty good, and I'm quite impressed. So, um, good honour. I'll tell you, Cap. Two hundred eighty-eight thousand people in Melbourne is not a not a bad haul for three days. Comes in, rapes us of all our money, and then pisses off. You don't know. Um, I'll tell you a couple of people that are not real happy about it. And that is Matchbox 20 and probably Pink. Because Matchbox 20, my brother went and saw Matchbox 20. And I he posted this video of them. And um, I was talking to him today. And I, I said, Well, they must be spewing. Oh, we've got a tour of Australia. 
Oh, hang on. Taylor Swift's here as well. Duh. You know, I just only found out today that Pink's actually touring as well, but who would have, who would have even known because well, Taylor's that, just... The only reason you knew Pink was in uh, in Australia was because she got kicked out of some place because she went to go into some place and some place said, who are you? And, and they kicked her out. So <laughs> I don't know where it was. I can't. I didn't read the story, but uh, Pink would normally have been massive news touring this country. Yeah. She set the record anyway. Yeah, yeah I, read, I read that article. The, well, I, I only saw the headline, Pink Browned Off. <laughs> yeah, is that what it was? Uh, yeah. Someone took a long time going to that one. Uh, well, welcome to the program. Uh, we'll talk about Taylor Swift uh, in bits and pieces. But uh, one thing I did hear, one thing I did do today, um, and one of the more, one of the cleverer things, not necessarily original, but a really good idea, I thought, Triple M got a whole stack of uh, local artists to cover some Taylor Swift songs. Now I have I've played some on on Bay on on, on Bay FM because um, they do play Taylor Swift, and I played a few songs and I quite like them. I don't wouldn't you know they're not changing the world for me. Um, but Dave Gleason, the Screaming Jets, Sarah McLeod, Diesel, Paul Kelly, who else did I listen to today? Uh, did, uh, did uh, they've all done versions of Taylor Swift songs? When you hear other people do the songs, you go, you know what? They're not they're pretty good songs. Mm. So if you want to sort of if you're not necessarily enamoured with her, but you want to hear her music, um, have a listen to the, the so it'll be on the Triple M website. I'm assuming, um, but uh, yeah, some some good versions of uh, what are basically good little songs. They're not they're not world shattering. You know, Paul Kelly singing whatever the song that he sang, Anti Hero, I think it's called. Um, yeah, it was you know, it was interesting. Yeah, well, I think Paul Kelly would be the one to sort of really strip the song down and say, really go, oh, okay, that's what the song's about. Except for Screaming Jets, all the ones I saw were all acoustic versions um, and, and really good acoustic versions too, I must say. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Look out for that. Yeah. Now, they're not the number one song from June 7th, 1985. That's for sure. Oh, what a chart. The chart chat this week, uh, chosen by me, incidentally, not by Brian. Which, oh, thank you. Which a lot of people on social media have intimated, um, is uh, from uh, 7th of June, 1985. It's the 3XY Hot Hits chart. Uh, from number 10 to number 1. 10, Wide Boy by Nick Kershaw. 9, Can't Fight the Feeling, Ario Speedwagon. 8, Just a Gigolo, David Lee Roth. 7, 19 by Paul Hardcastle. Six, We Close Our Eyes by Go West. Five, uh, Angel by Madonna. Four is Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge. Three is Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Two is Would I Lie to You by The Eurythmics. And the number one song, 7th of June, 1985, 50 Years by The Uncanny X-Men. Woohoo! There you go. So What a day that was. Chucked it up on social media and have some very interesting questions from people who responded with questions they wanted to ask and points they wanted to make about that chart, and we'll get to that a little later on, okay? Mm, okay. And your Sounds own like observations. A bit, of, bit of controversy coming our way. No, not really. Just a, I, some interesting questions. Um, okay. A couple of people brought up uh, things that oh, I think uh, good idea. Good, good, good questions. Got the death eliza right. coming up a little later on, uh, so we'll uh, we'll get to that. Couple of uh, couple of very sad ones in there. Don't you don't woohoo the death eliza, you dickhead! Oh, took you, took you a wee bit. I'm on envelope time. I'm on delay. I'm on delay. I'm on delay. Fine. He had a week off last week. Uh, went family dinner with the family. Now that's two weeks worth of tats. Two weeks worth of stories. What's been going on? Yeah, so I got a big. That painful spot inside thigh, inside of my thigh, you know, right from oh. knee right up to the groin. Oh. Uh, big panther. That's a that takes a lot of guts to get that. I'll tell you, that oh, is not easy to do. Why? Why did you decide? Have you decided? Uh, I'll ask this question first. Have you? Decide, is there any areas on on your body that you're not going to get tattooed? Yeah, everything above. Everything above, you know, my shoulders and neck. So I'm not doing my neck. Yep. I'm not doing any part of my neck. I'm not doing any part of my face ever. Right. Everywhere else is in bounds. Okay. Everywhere. Okay. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Jamaica. Have a nice day. Um, 
Can't wait to see those scrotums getting <laughs> tattooed. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd never get, I'd never get my balls. No, Brian, oh, don't let them off. You know this person. This person is ballsy. Oh, in most gutless, uh, gutless parts of our body. I had to ask the question, didn't I? Um, mm. But there's a lot, lot of pain involved. So the top, top project. Why, why, uh, why a panther on the thigh? I really like. I like panthers. I've got one on my arm, okay. but it's the back of my arm, so I don't get to see it. Right. So I like this because I get to see it. So what's going to be on the, the – is the other thigh bare at the moment? No, no, both thighs, the fronts are covered. Right, yeah. But this is the inside part yeah, yeah, of the yeah, thigh. Yeah, I know, the fleshy, the fleshy part. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, which is why um, it hurts so much. Correct. So I might go – I think the other leg, the other leg I've got a a big one there. It's the back of a girl just in a pair of panties, but it's just the back shot of her. It's got a heart underneath with Natalie written through it. Um, I might keep that side for old school, like sort of um, 1940s style girly tattoos. Like, yeah. like, like the girl in the sailor martini. Tattoo. So, so, yeah, yeah. Sailor tattoos. Yeah, yeah, like the girl in the martini glass, you know, the legs <laughs> folded mm. over the top of the glass. I think I'll get one of those. Someone did that for an album cover. Is that Rod Stewart? I don't know. You tell me. But, yeah, that's a pretty iconic look. Yeah. I like I like, the, I like the classics. Um, tomorrow I'm back in for five and a half hours of hell on my back with Trevor McStay, so I've really got to psych myself up for that. What do you do when you do? I mean, when he's doing your back and you're just lying face down on the on the yep. thing. What do you do? You, do yep. you read a book? Do you listen to music? No, or? no, no, no. I, I've tried diversionary tactics, but you can read a book. You can watch a video when you're waiting for a bus, and that makes the time pass quickly. Yep. But when you're going through real pain, it just it doesn't work. It really does not work for me anyhow. So I just need to find a zone like, all right, I accept that that's a level of pain and then I just try and, you know, I don't talk much. Some people talk and I just put up with it, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's some people say, oh, you know, you get a, Endorphin rush from the pain. Do you do it for the pain? I hate getting tattooed. As soon as I hear that gun start, the tattoo gun, the electric rooster, I hate it. But I love being tattooed. So, you know, yeah, it's the price I pay. There's, there's, and, and it, there's very many, there's a lot of therapy sessions involved in that last couple of statements from you finding out what I thought. Well, you know, honestly, if, if if a tattoo lasted three months, I wouldn't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. But my my psyche in this is it's going to last forever. I love them. I haven't regretted any tattoos I got. I enjoy it and I enjoy the look. I love it. And I'm just going to have to put it up, you know, with – Couple of few hours of discomfort for a lifetime of pleasure. Is now I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the uh, you know the uh, not obvious question. I don't think, but the uh, question. Mark Fine wakes up in, on the first of January two thousand and twenty five and goes, "You know what? I don't bloody like these things at all." How difficult is it, and is it possible to have it all? I know you can't wash it off in the shower, but is it possible to rejig? You know, reboot your body. Yeah. Have you, you seen? Silence there is and the lambs. <laughs> there is tattoo. There is tattoo removal. It's not. It works on small. I mean, you know, on a single piece, maybe you can get it done. Yeah, you could never get your whole body done. Okay. You'd, it's supposed to be incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, but look, I've had some tattoos on me for fifteen years, and I've never regretted them. And okay, yeah, you know, I'm. Yeah, it, it's. And you've really got to have a, an understanding and a mindset that you're not going to change your mind. And I, and I know myself as a person, you know, I, I'm 
I'm sticking with these because they're sticking to me. I heard a very good expression for it. So I was out, oh, must have been a week and a half ago, and I ran into somebody that I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt that I hadn't seen for a couple of years. And you were driving your car. What do you mean? Well, you said you ran into somebody. Oh, no, no, no. no. It just in the street I was walking along, bumped into someone, and he looked at me, looked at all the tattoos, and he, and he said something I've never heard of before. It's very funny. He said, look at you. What have you been doing, doing rolling around in a wet comic book? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's got a bit of that. Look about it, and yeah, it's, you know, to find it, I find it fascinating. To be honest, I never in uh, there's not a, there, there's no, and I fleetingly thought about it for a bulldogs thing before 2016. Uh, now, no, nah, couldn't couldn't do it, and you haven't got any either, have you, Brian? You haven't got you're not no no no. Um, it'd have to be something really really special, but you know, as my dad said, you know. Would you hang it on your lounge room wall? And if you wouldn't hang it on your lounge room wall, then don't put it on your on your body. Yeah. So, have you got? You, you mentioned you've got a fair few. I think there's you got two or three with Nat's name on it. Have you got any of your kids' names anywhere on your body? Funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one arm. Are all tattoos for Harper, Lucas, Andy, and Zane? They all pick their own tattoo. Oh, okay. So. There's a swan for Andy. She barracks for the swans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. They're not all footy related. You and then too. I got them, and then I got them to write their name, and then we transpose that into a stencil. Yep. So I've got their names in their own handwriting on me, and my two sisters, and my mum, and my dad. Now my dad passed away before I got this, of course, but I got some old handwriting of his and. Has he have his actual handwriting saying "Dad" tattooed on me? Oh, good. Oh, well, okay. You too can prepare for dementia. <laughs> so have really all your family's <laughs> names tattooed on your arms. <laughs> yes, you must be Harper. <laughs> Not a bad idea. That's, that's actually got some merit, Mannix. <laughs> oh, look, you know, tattoos for you that don't remember. That's actually. That's good. Now I know what I'll get tattooed on me old fella. I'll get my name and address tattooed on it. <laughs> and whenever anybody, when I'm old and senile, they'll ask me, well, what's your name and where do you live? And I'll just whip it out. <laughs> they'll call you Mr. Whippy. There you go. <laughs> Another another fabulous uh, entrepreneurial idea. You don't have to go on that shark tank or whatever it is to get the good ideas for making money. You come on to listen to this podcast and Brian Mannix will give you winners like that. The there you de- go. The Dementia <laughs> Tattoo Parlour. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they put on you because when you walk yeah. in, you ask for something. When you walk out, you go, yeah, I think that's what I asked for. It, 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 can, it can get a bit wrong, though, when you've got take your tablet. You know, because they look at that six times a day. Next thing you know, they're OD and in the <laughs> yeah, old folks' good. home. Um, to stick with the names. Yes, I just I just realised dementia and dementia. There's only two letters difference between. Them. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I see uh, very sadly I see Brian Wilson, the uh, the Beach Boys um, genius, um, has got dementia, and his family's take his wife just passed away recently, and uh, they've now. Uh, Fully diagnosed him with dementia, and he's going into some sort of care now. Oh, because he looked like he's had it for twenty years. Well, to be there honest. was, there was, was, you know, trying to make any sense out of anything he said there for about twenty years was next to impossible. Mm. A very strange band, the Beach Boys. Very, very strange band. Too, too much acid. Too much some. I don't know what it was, but by geez, they were weird. I remember sharing a plane with them, going from Auckland to um, Christchurch. And three of them looked like I thought they were actually dead. They had their eyes uh, wide open, sitting in the chairs, not moving, and didn't look like they were breathing. We thought they were dead. I'm meditating. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dennis wasn't meditating. <laughs> Dennis was. No, still looking for the surface. Oh, Dennis was looking for everything. Don't you worry about that. Uh, now, uh, footy. Not much footy news around. It's a bit quiet. Uh, which is probably a good thing 
but it's not that far yeah. away. Uh, March 7, I think, is the first game, Finey. Yeah, March 7. That's a Thursday, isn't it? Yep, yep. The ground zero round where all the cashing in on the NRL going to Las Vegas by having games in Brisbane and Sydney, the AFL frightened of competition. No. Stupid. Just petty. Well, what does it prove? You know, who has round zero? We do now. That's just stupid. Yeah, I don't. Uh... As stupid as it is, tune in on Friday night, <laughs> round zero, round 16 SDN. Yeah. Here, and now we're going, here we are at ground zero for round zero. Uh, well, no, finally he'll be a messy and taking the piss out of it. I'm sure he will. Mm. It'll be, who's, who's first up, Swans and Melbourne? Maybe. I Friday night, Brisbane Carlton. Okay. Well, you'll be able to go, you know, Brisbane four, Carlton nil, zero. Um, or Carlton four and Brisbane nil. Interesting. Uh, we'll talk to you about that when we get a bit closer, about uh, Finey's final siren, the return of that when we get a bit closer. A lot of cricket news around. Uh, sensational effort by the women's cricket, the Australian women's cricket team. Good, good grief. Um, Annabelle Sutherland, when she scored a double century, took wickets and only played. She's played five tests and she's taken, what is I think it's uh, some ridiculous amount of wickets and runs in just a couple of tests. She's a star. Yeah. While, yes, I agree. Also, and while she was doing that, her brother was taking wickets for Victoria in the Sheffield Shield and scoring runs. So pretty yeah. talented. And 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 our shop Lenny's is direct. I mean, shares the fence and. Tremendous family, get on tremendously well with her uncle, James's brother, who was a very good cricketer in his own right. Oh, okay. Was he? Okay. James, yeah. James was or James's brother? Well, James was and his brother. Yeah, okay. Um, did you see this story? The um, the St Kilda Fitzroy Doncaster fourth, I think it was the fourth 11, uh, a bloke who's will now go into the record books at uh, – at the St Kilda Cricket Club, Edward Verco, I think his name is, timed out in a in a grade match. Really? They were playing. They were playing. They they uh, St Kilda rolled the other mob, I think. Uh, yep. uh, so they went out, and I think there was one over theoretically to be played before stumps. So they yep. lose a wicket with the second ball of the over, and. Yep. The bloke batting isn't padded up, who's coming in at number three isn't padded up. The, the diet watchman isn't, they didn't have an eye watchman because they figured once the wicket falls, the umpies are going to go stumps. Well, yep. no, the umpies went, no, we're continuing. So the number 11, Edward Verco, had to, uh, had to walk out because they're all looking around, obviously, at everyone going, what's going on? And uh, so they gave Edward a bat and said, well, you go out there, you'll probably be either told to come back and they'll call stumps or something will happen. So he walks out. They timed him out and sent him back. He walked out with a bat, black shorts on, no pads, no gloves, no padding, nothing, just a pair of black shorts and a bat. Wanders out in the middle, walks out. The umpires give him out, timed out. By the time all that happened, the bloke who was batting at number three was able to pad up and get ready and walked out. And uh, so they were two for two at the end of end of playing. Edward Verco goes down in the St Kilda uh, historical annals is the man who was timed out. Well, at least he's famous for something. Yeah, suburban cricket's good fun. It's good fun like that. Yeah. And India yeah. inflicted its biggest ever defeat on the Poms. Yeah. In a test, so they've given them a nice old spanking. Got, I think they got they lost eight wickets for about 40 or 50 runs or something, the Poms. In the, after Joe Root went out, they just collapsed and India finished up winning by over 400 runs. They were rooted. They were, and they normally are when Joe goes out. That's the end of them. Not much, yep. not much to write uh, apart from that. Now, Brian. Now, we all get on, a bit sleepy on. after Joe goes out. Hang on. Big cricket, big, big cricket story. The big cricket story is? Will Pukowski getting a ton for Victoria. Oh, sensational. Great news. Yep, yep. Was, uh, tough, journey, tough journey, long journey, and at his best, 
will be a great opener for Australia. So onwards and upwards. I haven't seen the interview, but I'm told by a number of people, and I've seen it uh, mentioned, uh, critiqued on social media. Adam White did an interview with him. I think yeah. it's for the Victorian, um, for the Cricket Victoria website. Um, and he talks more about the fact it's not necessarily the concussion, concussion that's been one of his major hurdles, but it is. But the other part of it's actually been his own mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been both, you know. Yeah. And I've heard most of that interview, if not all of it, I think. Oh, okay. Brilliant interview by Adam. Beautiful. Brilliant. And very honest responses by Will Pukowski because it's not easy to break those subjects, but – Will Pukowski believes he's now in a place, and this is before the century, he said, I, I now believe I can play for Australia and hold a spot in that team and, I'm, you know, all my ducks are in a row and things are looking upwards. So that would be very exciting. And and also um, ultimately I think a really f- – a strong message to people with mental health issues. Yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not a sentence. It's not a life sentence. It's a journey. So he plays for Will Pukowski and hundreds of thousands of other Australians who have that journey but hopefully understand that it's, you know, the dark times are not the end of the story. It's it's very important. Yeah. And the interview has only just come out in the last couple of days, but it was recorded some time ago and they actually held it back until such time as uh, Will was in a, a good place for to, the interview to come out because of what he yeah, talked yeah. about. Yeah, I, I, I heard it on SEN on Sunday. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah. The, I mean, had Will Bukowski been around, you know, four, five, six weeks ago, we wouldn't have had that conversation about who was going to replace David Warner. He was yeah, there. He was. Right. He's. He's ready to go. He's. He's already been earmarked by the selectors as someone good enough to play in that position. Um, yep. And and uh, the minute he's right, he'll be in there. And the hundred certainly hasn't done his chances of getting a uh, a call up any harm at all. That's right. It's good to hear. Good to hear. Now, because we have, I think, uh, what is going to be a large edition of Chart Chat. If uh, no one has anything else, we might go to the Deathalyzer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that sad time of the show where we throw to the death alliance. <laughs> that that, uh, that intro is going to be the death of you, Mannix. <laughs> you'll one night you'll just go. <coughs> it'll be it. <coughs> now the people have gone <coughs> very or very elegant. The uh, Melbourne Company horse passed away. That's sad. Um, uh, Melbourne. 2021 Melbourne Cup winner, 2020 Caulfield Cup winner, 2021 oh. Race Horse of the Year. Um, passed away complications uh, in foaling uh, yesterday, I think. So that's, yeah, that's sad. Yeah, that's a sad one. Only eight years old. Uh, yeah. Now, Ethelene DeBarge has passed away at the age of 88, and we've already mentioned DeBarge once on this program because uh, Rhythm of the Night is the number four song on this uh, chart that you're number one on, Brian. Well, do your best, DeBarge, but I'm on top. Now, she was the matriarch of the DeBarge family. She had uh, 12 kids, uh, and, of course, a whole bunch of them finished up being uh, DeBarge the group. Uh, who had that uh, that big hit with uh, Rhythm of the Night, amongst other, a whole stack of other hits I had in America, but that that one that's number four in this chart uh, is uh, is the one there. Um, now, Ian Arnie. Well, I was worried there for a second. What? Well, it was Brian Taylor. Oh, the barge. No, <laughs> not, not barge. No, the barge. Uh, Ian Arnie <laughs> passed away at the age of 79. Now, he was a member of Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Now, that Titch was a bit of a worry. Well, that's, who's, that's who Ian is. Ian was Titch. And he's, yeah. he's not a worry now. He's gone. They were good, Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. I like them. Legend of Zanadu is a great song. What did Davey, Dick, Dojab and Poojab and Nobby do together? What what is there? Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch had The Legend of Xanadu, which was a massive hit about 1968. 
had uh, two other big hits, Hold Bet. It and Bend It. Hold, Sorry, Hold Tight and Bend It, which is so two, Davey, two different Davey, songs. Davey, Dick, Dobby. Dave, Brian. Randy. No. Tito and Not the Jacksons. Taylor. Not the Jacksons. Uh, it's Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. The Legend of Xanadu. Good song. So it was, who was Dozy? I don't quite know whether – obviously they uh, they were under another name and I think the producer of the band said, oh, look, you know, that's a fairly lame old name, uh, so why don't we go with all your nicknames? So that's how they became Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Well, they were the Seven Dwarves before that. <laughs> and thought that was – that name had been taken, so they went with – Two of the guys left the band. <laughs> so just left Davey, Sleepy, Doc and, you know – Humpy, yeah, whatever they were. Humpy and cockhead. (laughs) Humpy and cockhead, the two dwarfs they never talk about. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're the best ones. (laughs) They would have to have a very, very successful career in Vegas. But anyway, (laughs) um, and on a serious note, a very sad note from a sports point Mm. of view, this bloke was a bloody star. Um, Mm. He only played seven test matches. That that was because he was South African. He played those seven test matches against Australia. And in those seven test matches, the official test matches, he did play World Series cricket out here, but in the seven official tests he played, he took 41 wickets at uh, at an average of 15 and and was just a star in first-class cricket. Um, He scored over 21,000 runs and took, uh, I think, over 1,400 wickets, whatever it was. Mike Proctor, the South African all-rounder. Passed away at the yeah, age of 77. He was a bloody star. Very good player. Um, superb fieldsman, uh, a bloody terrific bowler, deceptively quick, um, did a bit with the ball off the track and in the air and uh, and as a batsman was just a beauty as well. Was in that um, unfortunate uh, era of South African cricket when they had some bloody brilliant players but they never got to play test cricket because of their political situation in South Africa at the time. Very sad. Yep. Yes. Couldn't they, agree more. And they're not recognised at all, um, which is, I think, wrong, but uh, they're not even in the historical, uh, I guess, books of South African cricket. Uh, South African cricket doesn't start until after apartheid finished, so none of those, they're not in the official records, which is the test well, they played, they played least, against Australia in 1968 and that aren't, aren't mentioned. Well, at least it's all being recognised here tonight on Rock and Roll. Yes, it has. All right. Let's get to our chart. Hang on. We haven't decided. Is that oh, it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, hang on. Have I got any more? Let me uh, check the death of that. Uh, no, that's it, Brian. Guess what? You weren't in it again. That concludes this week's episode of... <laughs> The death of Liza. Better luck next week. <laughs> God willing. Our returning champion. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, what are we, we're crypt of the century? <laughs> we can do that, can we? Or coffin uh, of the century? Something. Oh, look, I think we can fully deadly earnest the whole thing. Yes, uh, a maniacal uh, Vincent Price laugh in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, make it really spooky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can't. No, not. No, you can't. No, be no, can't be you can't that. be doing you that. You can't be doing that. No. But you can have some, maybe some spooky ghost noises like, ooh. No, no, don't do that. No. All right, let's leave it as yep, it is. Let's do that. All right. Now, social media questions from the chart, which I mentioned the top 10 before. Interesting chart. Um, I'll be honest and say, there's a lot of stuff on this chart I like. There's very little stuff on this chart I love. <gasps> no, I mean that. There's very little. There's some, but there's very little on the on that chart that I actually really love. Yeah, I reckon that's fair. You know, I like I like um I like Howard Jones, I like the Mentals, I like the Eurogliders, um, I like the X-Men, I like um Go West, I like Nick, Kershaw. I don't – they're not songs that I no. love. It sort of just says 
This is what it was at the time. It's a, yeah. a time capsule almost. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and an interesting one because it not as varied as a 70s chart. There's no, not. Less, less kind of like, you know, Engelbert Humperdinck and then, you know, uh, Freddie Fender and then uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, it's less diverse than that. Um, easy to see in the dance chart had, uh, had hit and, in fact, I didn't even realise XY had it. I mean, I was doing I was doing mornings on three XY when this chart came out. Um, they actually we they actually in those days had a hot twelve inch club mix chart on the yeah. chart, which I didn't realise. I didn't know there was a club mix of We Are the World. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> God, that's a bizarre one. Right, finally, what's your first observation about this chart and question you'd like to ask? All right, so I've got a, a, a mini observation, then my two proper observations. Mm-hmm. I was very excited because I read it without my glasses that at number 34 there was a song, I Want to Hear It From Your Lips by Eric Cartman. <laughs> but it turned out to be Eric Cartman. Yes. What a disappointment that would be to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I realised South Park hadn't started for another fifteen years or something. Yeah, well, you know, he might. Have, it was before his time, Cartman. I always thought. Yeah, that would have been a good song. Yeah, you guys, I to hear from your lips, you guys. All right. So I want to talk about. Is it? What's number eight on the chart? Uh, let me bring it up here and have a look. It is just a gigolo by David Diamond Lee Roth. Diamond Dave. Correct. Yeah. So I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's a song that was written in 1929 by Irving Caesar, who turned a Austrian poem about the First World War into a song. Now, David Lee Roth is not alone in recording Just a Gigolo. In fact, there are 53 different versions. Is that right? And here are some of the people that have sung the song. Louis Armstrong. Bing Crosby, Django Reinhardt, Thelonious Monk, Louis Prima, Peter Allen, The Village People, Marlena Dietrich, Lou Baker, Tiny Tim, (laughs) and somebody that I've never heard of but I think whose name might please Brian, Dick Hyman. Oh, get out of here. That's a beauty. Sorry, not Misty's father. No. Well, how do you you reckon you got Misty? It wasn't for Dick and Hyman. Dick Hyman has the version. I'd like to hear Dick Hyman's version. That'd be sweet. I'll get that on Spotify. Is it a single? Pardon? Was it a single? No, it's it's a... Extended mix? No, it's a um, what's it called when they're both sides? Oh, double sided, double A. <laughs> yeah, yep, double A. It was a seven inch, um, and uh, had a very soft label in the middle. As I remember, it it broke quite easily. Had a hole. Yeah, it was a it was a breakthrough. It was a break. It was a breakthrough hit for Hyman. <laughs> oh dear me. Um, right. Well, that took some. That, that was uh, that's very good research, Finey. I'm very impressed. Yeah. So, just a gigolo. It's called just a gigolo. Um, Everywhere I go. No, no. It's got a sort of second. I, I don't I ain't, want, ain't got nobody. Ain't got nobody. Correct. And that version was first done by Louis Prima. So yep. everyone after that did that version. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Um, but, you know, from Peter Allen to Tiny Tim and Marlena Dietrich. Tiny Tim would have been with the uke, wouldn't it? Yep. Just a dig yeah. and everywhere I go. So that's mm. observation number one. Very observation good. number two was a little coincidence that popped up. Mm-hmm. Last night went out for dinner with the family and we had a great night out, went to the pub, and I mean, this is fake. On our shows, get in. Should I say it? Yeah, well, hang on. You're, you're, you're cutting so out. Get, you're dr- cutting out and dropping out on me. What did you say? 
I was saying, all right, so what happened is we went to the pub and to get in the pub, you've got to go through the pokey section, whatever. Anyhow, so they asked for ID. Right? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we okay. can hear you. Um, and so my daughter, oh, no, should I say this? She produced a bit of a fake ID to get in. No. Now, the problem was that then my son had to show an ID and there was only seven months between their birth dates. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good trick. Good on you, Nat. Well done. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what does that mean? I got back on the nest pretty quick? Or... <laughs> it means Nat's a miracle worker. Yeah, correct. Anyhow, so we went out for dinner and then I said, all right, let's all watch a movie together after dinner. And we went through about 50 movies and I finally got my way and we watched Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Oh, yes. It's a great movie. It includes one of my favourite lines of all time. Just a favourite little scene when when John Candy's driving the car down the freeway and he gets his arms stuck because he's yeah, trying yeah, to get yeah. He set the back of the car on fire and it's hot in the car and he doesn't know it's on fire and he's got his arms stuck and he ends up on the wrong side of the freeway and there's two trucks coming at him and this family or this husband and wife pull up alongside him going the other way but they're both travelling in the same direction and they're yelling at him and they're going, turn around, turn around. You're going the oh, yeah. You're going the wrong way. And he looks at him, pretends that he's drinking out of a bottle like they're drunk, and he goes, going the wrong way. How do they know where we're going? <laughs> and it just says to Steve Mark, do like, ah, oh, they're drunk. And then he, then he does the bottle thing. Yeah. yeah. How, how do they know where we're going? We're going the wrong way. <laughs> that scene, and where then, the scene where he uh, where he goes to the rental car desk. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very <laughs> funny. Anyhow, so being a John Hughes movie, the great thing about John Hughes comedies, all of them, whether it's Ferris Bueller or, you know. It, They've all got – they're all very funny, but they've got a lot of pathos in them. Yeah. So the final scene in Planes, Trains and Automobiles always gets a little tear from me. I think it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, me too. And it's played out to a song that's on this chart. Ah. Which one? Every Time You Go Away by Paul Young. Ah, good song. Yeah. And so I looked up the song, the, the actual song sung by some band, cover band at the end of the movie, but that's not the point. So Paul Young actually had a number one hit in the US with this song, but the song was actually written by Daryl Hall. And Hall and Oates had it on an album but never released it as a single. So Paul Young released it as a single and made a fortune out of it. Oh, good on him. He's been uh, he's been touring across America recent times with Rick Springfield. He's a bit of a talent, isn't Paul, he? Paul Young. Yeah. Oh, Paul Young's good. I love that. He had some, he had some good songs. A couple of ripping yeah, songs. Yeah. I good think voice. he's. I think he. Um, he lives now. He's living a humble life these days. His voice is gone. I think. Now you know. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he lives. Uh, with his ex-wife in a thing out the back or underneath, and he works for her as a waiter or, or a cook or something. Oh, really? I don't know. We need to fact-check that. Yeah, okay. Because I, I remember when I did that interview with Rick Springfield a couple of months back, um, he was touring, he was about to go on, or he was on tour, and the tour was Rick Springfield, The Hooters, Paul Young and Tommy Two-Tone. Well, you know, Tommy Two-Tone was just glad to get out of KFC for, you know, for a little bit. 8675309, Tommy Two-Tone. Remember that song? 8675309. That's Tommy Two-Tone. Yep. Uh, so uh, yeah, so oh that's uh, that's inter- I didn't know I I I didn't remember that that was a Daryl Hall song. Uh, oh, to- stop it. You'd, ki- you'd kill to have written some of the songs Daryl Hall's written. No, I've written better songs. They just got, you know, they were in America. 
You know, they got a better well, producer and a better budget. Okay. Well, that uh, finally is that uh, that your two observations? They're my two observations. Beautiful and well done. Very well done. Uh, oh, Brian, I'll, I'll throw that question to you. It comes off uh, the social media, and I said we threw. I threw this open, and no. I'll just find it now. Uh, where is it? Uh, uh, David Burt's got a couple of questions for you, but I want to get to the one where he asks about uh, having released it overseas. Where, where I'm just like I'm just really impressed with the trumpet line you just wrote, Doctor Cruel. Off the off the Twitter feed, Doctor Cruel said, "Was Fifty Years ever released overseas? And how? If if so, how did it go? And if not, why didn't it get released overseas? I think it got a a release in New Zealand." Um, didn't go very good. I think it got to about, you know, 37, something like that. That was about it. You know, we didn't go and tour or support it, which if we had, it might have made a difference. But um, I think it was just an afterthought by Mushroom. So, yeah, um, you know, I don't think the recording would have been good enough to go to America or England. It needed to be, you know, you know, we, that whole album cost $36,000 to make, you know, when – you know, Mondo Rock spending one hundred and twenty thousand on two singles, and you know, so you know, it was a real El Cheapo record, which you know sold really well, thank God. Man, I, we remember you had that you had that uh, the Ario Speedwagon bloke come out, didn't you? What was his name? Evan Beamish. He did the second album. Yeah. Okay. So he did. He did. So you had an, an international producer come out. Did, was there any thoughts of had you written fifty years then? Oh, look, we always thought that if we got an overseas release that we'd, you know, 50 years would be on it. Oh, okay. Um, you know, that was sort of a no-brainer and probably work would have been too, but, you know, God knows what the Americans would have done to it, you know, like it'd probably end up sounding like Foreigner or something like that, which I probably would have hated. Yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. All right. No, it's, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good and valid question, and I didn't know the answer to it. Um, as no, to whether no. it had been released overseas. Most of the world has not heard it. But however, my song F, um, F letter C K, mm. me being diplomatic, um, that or I think it's called Fuck Yeah. I think that that went all around the world. Um, on the dance charts, and it was the um, on the DJ charts, you know, in the clubs, it was like fifteen in America and eleven in Canada and oh, Barcelona. Right. That was cool as hell. Didn't make a cent out of it, but um, that's my that's my most overseas success. Okay, uh, Tony Jenkins just wanted to poke the bear and ask you why you didn't uh, play the Mushroom fiftieth concert and Rachel. Sent a question saying it's the most loved chart of the year. Did we send a copy of it to Mushroom Records? So some people <laughs> loving stirring it up there. Um, uh, now the few observations from a few different people. Stephen Raitman, who is a big fan of this program and uh, comes into your deli too, I know. Funny, he uh, he remembers the number thirteen song on this, Katrina and the Waves. He saw him at the Village Green. Had to wait mm. ninety minutes for him to come on stage, and they did a lot of covers. And then finally did Walking on Sunshine, that's when he left. Not one of the more memorable gigs. Did you gig with the Eurogliders in 85, Brian? Uh, yeah, David, probably. Yeah. David uh, Chet remembers that. He said it was an awesome time. Yeah, I think we played at the Peaches and Cream Festival in um, where the Peaches and Cream Festival is up near the border there. Now, did you do the 1983, this is a couple of years before that, reunion tour with Skyhooks? Yeah, yeah. Had Kicks came out and they reformed. They sold out five festival halls in about an hour and a half and because um, Greg McCainish wrote How to Get Your Kicks, bang, we're straight on to the um, ah. support. So we, we supported them, which was great because – I kind of, you know, I love Skyhooks and got to work with the whole band. And then, you know, as we read, produced 50 years. That's right. Um, I worked with um, with Freddie about two years at the Roxy. 
I've done shit with um, Bongo. Yep. And Greg's written and produced How Do You Eat Kicks. So, you know, and surely I, you know. You surf with Sheryl, did you, at some stage? Never surfed with Sheryl. Should have. Or gone on his boat. Never asked me. Now, David Burt remembers that tour. With That's never stopped in the past. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Uh, David Burt remembers that tour at Skyhawks and remembers seeing uh, you at Festival Hall with the Uncanny X-Men. He said the first time he'd ever seen the X-Men live and his initial thought was, Shit. who's that smart ass? Oh, yeah. Um, and his second thought was, they're pretty good. Oh, that's lovely. Good on you, Dave. Uh- yeah, my mum and dad, my brother sneaked my mum and dad into one of them shows. And, you know, I was just trying to get noticed at them at that point. You know, we were nobody. And so I'd say these really offensive jokes. Oh, you no. know, it's like, you know, because, you know, we come from punk rock band. And so, you know, punk rock, we were kind of not as sensitive today. And I'm there and I'm talking about head jobs or something. And then my, after the show, my brother comes in for my mum and dad. It's like, oh, no. Anyway. Uh, now, Ian's observation is there's not enough love for the machinations body of work there in that chart. Or the song I in think, that chart. yeah, they, look, I, we work with Freddie and um, I think they're um, – they're probably more appreciated in Sydney than Melbourne, um, but I know Scotty's a big fan of them. But um, no, their their songs are timeless. They're good. Yeah, no saying it's a really good song. I like no saying it. Yeah. Uh, Neil asked who chose the chart. Well, I told you on uh, online, Neil, that it was it wasn't Brian. It, he didn't just pick his own chart with his number one song there. No. No. So, I wouldn't do that. No. Uh, and Robert uh, Rice, thanks for the uh, the big long sentence you made with all the song titles and albums. Uh, for that, you can read that online if you want to want to check that one out. My observation is uh, again uh, about this chart. Before we get to yours, Brian, um, is what I said earlier. There's a lot of songs on this I like, but not a lot of songs I actually love. That I, if I was putting together mm. a a tape of you know my top twenty songs, I don't think there's any on this that would make it into that into that pile. Um, Lots of stuff I like. I mean, I really like Nick Kershaw. I really, I always like Go West. I like the Machinations. Euroglider's a good song. Metal's a good song. Glenn Fry I like because uh, I like the movie and I like that song in the movie. Uh, Paul Young I like. Uh, but nothing that I'd go, oh, yes, crank that one right up. Not a lot of You know what I like? Mm-hmm. It's a chart with Howard Jones, Nick Kershaw and Brian Mannix, the triplets. Okay. Uh, well, Brian's about the same height as Nick, and Howard is like six foot something. Because we, I remember at XY, we had Howard Jones in one week and Nick Kershaw the next, and it was like one we had to almost put, um, you know, uh, phone books on the chair so as he could actually reach the microphone. The other bloke we had to almost stop him from knocking his head off as he walked in the door. But, but didn't they look the same? And Brian. A bit of, bit oh, of, everybody had a bit of a blonde mullet. Um, <laughs> Howard Jones, uh, look, he was pretty thinning. I doubt he'd be wearing a mullet these days. He'd be sitting next to Andrea Gassi. Mm, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got a bit of hair, not not a lot. Bit of hair. Nick Kershaw hasn't got a lot of hair these days either. And he is he is here. Out of that, the other observation was out of the people in that uh, in that chart. Touring either right now or very soon out of that chart, Go West and Nick Kershaw are touring together. Simple Minds are still touring here, uh, doing the Red Hot Summer gigs, I think. The X-Men are about to go on the road again for a final lap of the country, I believe. Yeah, oh, you know, could take years, Kev. Eh? <laughs> could take years, Kev. <laughs> uh, Eurogliders were always touring. Bernie and Grace were always doing shows somewhere. Colin Hayes touring very soon. Howard Jones is touring in America at the moment, I think. Uh, Paul Young, as I mentioned before, is uh, was touring with uh, Rick Springfield. He just get it. Glad to get out of washing the dishes in the restaurant <laughs> at his wife's pub. Well, uh, someone fact check that for us. What Paul Young is doing when he's not touring with Rick Springfield. I'd be most intrigued because he was he was quite the um, he was the countdown pin up boy superstar kind of um, Paul Young. The girls went mad. Oh for him. yeah, went mad for him. He was supposed to be the the 
what the best white soul singer or something. Yeah, he's pretty good. He did have a good voice. Uh, a song called with Playhouse in the – I'm going to tear down your Playhouse. It's a good song. Right, Brian, what are your observations apart from the fact that uh, this turned you into a multimillionaire who now has a penthouse on the Gold Coast? Uh, yeah, I wish. Um, well, look, I th- I'll, I'll be brief because I've spent enough time, you know, crapping on here. Um, I'll talk about Nick Kershaw in that I um, – Wide boy, it's you know his songs were really well produced and um, it, it's very eighties and that sounds cool. But I went and saw his show at the Horden Pavilion. We were in Sydney and we just got free tickets, so off we went. And um, we lob in there, stoned out of our mind, and snuck in scotch and shit. And we, you know, anyway, Nick's there and he's quite serviceable and all that. But you know, there's this big curtain sort of holding the big reveal. I go, oh, shit, wonder what's going to be behind that. And after, you know, an hour and a quarter, bang, the curtain opens and it's a mirror ball. <laughs> wow. You know, you talk, and this is for a guy that loves Alice Cooper, you know, and like he has 18-foot Alice Coopers and shit. So, yeah, so that was a bit ordinary. And speaking a bit of ordinary, um, it's, uh, gee whiz, walking on the Chinese wall. Philip Bailey. Oh, won't you, won't you piss off, bit Phil Bailey? Won't you piss <laughs> off? What the hell happened here? He did. Uh, uh, he did easy level with um, Phil Collins. Well, that's that's just slut shaming. So the guy's got no form. He's already, you know, he's. he's but no, this is. It, I reckon this sounds like a producer who's not really a musician has written it. The drum pattern that the drums are playing, uh, I don't know, they're probably cool, but not if you want to dance. And the drums are really loud and the vocals are way in the background. Like there's, like it sounds like they're in the next room and let's listen to the drums and the the music. But, no, this is... A well-produced, expensive piece of shit, <laughs> and it's you know, like you know, what what emotion are you feeling walking on the Chinese wall? That's not an emotion. That's you know, that's just terrible lyrics, terrible, no, just terrible song. So that's my observation. All right, and uh, and what was it like? Was it was it a you know, a life-changing moment to have a number one song on the 3XY chart for you? Yeah, it was oh, it wasn't life-changing, but it was like, yeah, we did it. You know, I don't know. If you win, if you win you're playing under 16 footy and you win a grand final and you've got the cup, is that a life-changing moment or it's just something that's really good that happened? Well, this was the second week you were number one. Did it stay up after that? Because I, I – Two weeks at number one? Or don't you remember? Still, still staying up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Dude, thank you. <laughs> oh, I had to ask, didn't I? I had to ask. Um, All right, enough about my dick. What's Fanny up to? <laughs> <laughs> well, going to the news shortly, so uh, it's uh, time for one more thing, Fanny. What are yours? No, I don't really have one. Pardon? Oh. Well, I was just focused on Dick Hyman. <laughs> Yeah. Now, yeah. my observations were that they're they're good songs, but they're not great songs. That it was a, oh. and as much as I think it was a good year for music, when you look at the album chart and see some of the albums that are on there, some some bloody brilliant albums on there. But yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, uh, Brothers and Arms was number one, and No Jacket Required was number two. So, uh, Kids in the Kitchen was number three album, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, as as Kenny pointed out last week, you can see the countdown effect on this. Chart. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of Australian accident. There's six. Six Aussies. Uh, there's a couple of David Lee Roth. There's a couple of Dead or Alive. So the dance thing and the countdown thing was still still having yeah. a real, really big impression. So, again, that, and that's why I think there's a lot of songs on there that are good but, you know, wouldn't walk over hot coals to put them on my um, deathbed playlist. I, I think I was probably going out with Christopher Scase's stepdaughter around this time. Who was that? Oh, we can't be naming names on TV. Well, you just called us Christopher Scase's stepdaughter. Surely you can Google that in 15 seconds and find out. Just tell us. Oh, it's a 
No, before no, the new, look, get it in before the news starts. Felicity. Felicity. I think I was going out with Felicity um, at the time. Right. For, okay. Briefly, because I was always away. But anyway, yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Mm. That's the gossip, and now the news it's is over. Coming. Have a lovely week, Finey. I will head uh, down to Lenny's Fine Foods. That's if you want a good food. absolutely Lenny's Fine Foods in North Caulfield. Get there and get your belly full. Thank you, Brian. Enjoy. Thank you very much. Number, I actually number one rock so, star. <laughs> please, we're going to the news. Uh, I'm hearing Taylor Swift's tour of Australia has had a few problems. It says here. Jamie, can you check this? I'm reading that she was escorted from a club after a knife fight with Kylie Minogue. You've just experienced rock and roll. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook.